Okay, so welcome. We are, so this is going to be a bit different. I should let you know. This is going to be a quick uh, trailer reaction, I guess. So we just saw Star Wars Celebration Orlando over the weekend. It's a huge event. And basically the biggest thing that came out of it was that we saw the first teaser trailer for Star Wars The Last Jedi. And it looks amazing. And I needed to talk about it. So I have roped in Brian Salvatore of the DC3Cast to talk about the trailer and why everything is looking amazing for Star Wars right now. It's a pretty great trailer. It's such a good trailer. Um, we saw almost nothing, and yet I feel like I could talk for hours about this teaser trailer. It's not even the full trailer. It's a teaser trailer. So I was thinking about this over the weekend because the first, this is not the equivalent of the first teaser we got for The Force Awakens because that was, mm -hmm. that was like 30 seconds, right? And it was almost I, nothing. I believe it was about a minute and a half. Oh, was it really that long? It feel, it just, I guess in my mind it feels shorter. But that... Because what we basically got for that, it was officially one minute and 39 seconds. Okay. We got basically a shot of all of the main cast. We got the first shot of Finn kind of popping up in the desert. We got some shots of Ray, one of BB-8, one of Poe in the X-Wing yep. on the approach to Takodana. And then we got the shot that wasn't in the final cut of the film with uh, Kylo Ren in the woods on Starkiller Base right. igniting the lightsaber for the first time. And then that big epic shot of the Millennium Falcon kind of sweeping up and twisting around that basically cemented J.J. Abrams as the nerd god for the rest of time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's but this, this feels, is much this, more of a tone piece. I, I was going to say, that was just... to And I've I probably told this story on, on Force Ghost before, but when uh, I had friends visiting the day that was that was being released, and I knew what time it was being released, and so I didn't want to be rude and said, I have to go watch a Star Wars trailer. <laughs> so I was like, excuse me, I have to use the bathroom. So I went in the bathroom, and I watched it on my phone, and I cried. And I, I feel like this, this was a little bit different than that because... That was about establishing, I guess, just the idea of what that that was announcing Star Wars is back, right? Yeah. This is not that type of an announcement. This is very specific to this film, and even more so, very specific to what Ryan Johnson and company want us to know about this film going in, which is yeah, not very much. Because <laughs> what we saw in the Force Awakens trailer was very much. Um, so I, I, I see The Force Awakens as almost like retrofuturism nostalgia. You know, everything <laughs> is old is new again. Yeah, yeah. Um, what we saw was basically the new trio, the new Darth Vader, new X-Wings, new droids, the Millennium Falcon back is back, new Stormtroopers, but everything kind of looks new. It was kind of a, the, the Star Wars you liked is back and it looks shiny and new, basically. Yeah. Um, this is way darker even than i expected you know they've talked about how like oh it's the second star wars movie in the trilogy it has to go empire strikes back there is ryan johnson has gone full like chiaroscuro in a star wars movie that last shot of luke skywalker framed almost entirely in shadow against the opening of a cave saying the jedi have to end is unlike anything we've seen 
in Star Wars, maybe ever. Certainly not in a feature film. No. This is this reminds me almost of the kind of darker aspects of Clone Wars and the kind of the way they push the cinematography in those episodes. Um I know you haven't seen it, but I'm reminded of the uh the Mortis episodes and just how much it seems to talk about the the spirituality of Star Wars is mm-hmm. kind of a big push here. Um, it's okay. I kind of almost want to go through this shot by shot. Sure, lead um, the way. Which is going to be amazing for an audio podcast. <laughs> um, but we'll get there. Also, it 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 begins just with with what. What we don't know what we're looking at. Is it a rock? Yeah. Is it a planet? Is it, it an asteroid? It starts almost like stars kind of fades into I for a half second as it faded in, I thought it was a close up in Snoke. And I was okay. about to lose my mind. <laughs> and then we see the reveal that it's, you know, Ray's hand coming in, she's struggling to breathe. Um, I feel like people are gonna pick this trailer apart forever but like it seems to be that this is her kind of connecting to the living force in the first for the first time almost where you know she's used her force powers and the force awakens a little bit used the mind trick used the force pull kind of tested out her powers this is the first time she's ever been told to like connect to things outside herself um see which I- is I took it slightly differently. Oh? But I want to wait to talk about how I took it. Okay. I I, I have a theory. Not a theory. I have a feeling about the whole trailer that I'm going to save for that last shot. So let's let's keep going. Okay. Um, Now I'm interested. Okay. So we end up getting, after the Lucasfilm logo, we get some really gorgeous environment shots of um, Skellig Isle of... Um, I believe they're still calling this Acto. That's a name that they pulled from the uh, screenplay of The Force Awakens. Right. Where they literally named the island after the idea of this is going to be where Act 2 of the movie takes place, of right. the trilogy. That is. <laughs> um, which is a very Star Wars way to put it. We get this really cool shot of uh, Ray framed in a very... Like, this is, very, this is a very blue movie so far. Um, lots of kind of nighttime shots, lots of uh, cloaked in shadow shots of her looking against the water on the plateau. Very pensive, very... I'm almost reminded of the shots of Anakin. Like, I feel like I'm going to get kind of crucified for mentioning this. Anakin in Attack of the Clones. There is a shot on Naboo, I believe it is, just before they go to Tatooine to find his mother where Padme finds him, you know, he's standing with his arms crossed behind his back, eyes closed. I know exactly the scene you mean, yes. It's one of the most kind of visually interesting um, shots of the movie because it's taking place during this really weird kind of Romeo and Juliet-esque romance. And it shows how just kind of closed off and messed up the Jedi Order's left this kid that, you know the person that he believes that the love of his life is right next to him and he's so isolated from her. Um, that's a discussion for another time, I guess. Um, 
where does it go from here? The Man of Steel shot. I was aghast at seeing this. Um, it's it's a shot that works. You know, it's it reminds me a lot of uh, on Dagobah the the moment where Luke kind of lifts the rock and balances it on the other rock. Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Um, the these these first steps into using the force, um, just picking up the stones off the rock. I was just, I was just amazed seeing that. I was like, this is full on Man of Steel. And then this is framed. Sorry, you were about to say something. I was going to say I didn't put that together. I didn't think Man of Steel. I, I try really? to I try to not think of Man of Steel. So. That's fair, but uh, <laughs> as soon as I see like a close up on hand and bits of rock kind of flying around it, that's immediately where where my hand my mind's gonna go. You're you're uh, absolutely right though, and now I can never unsee that. So thanks, oh, yeah. Alice. You're you're welcome for that. <laughs> um, this is all framed by the voiceover. Um, I find it uh kind of funny that the voiceover from Luke is breathe, just breathe. Because that's exactly the advice I needed to take upon watching this for the first time. I was, I was trembling. I I had my girlfriend over to live stream the whole celebration, and this is, um, like midway through the Friday for me, and I've spent all morning just trembling <laughs> over excitement. I I think I I'm glad they showed it twice in the live stream because I think I bawled through the first showing. I was. This was an emotional moment for me. I understand. See, um, I, I was is... at work and I was in between meetings. So I had like 10 minutes. And so I ran to my office. I closed my door and I watched it three times in a row. But I knew I had to get right back to work. So I couldn't get my, I, could, I was excited and I was taking it in, but I couldn't get emotional. You know, I was, yeah. which in some ways I think is a, was a better first way to watch it. Because mm. when I watched it the next couple of times, I was able to really let the emotion sort of overtake me. Yeah, it's great. It's it is a like we don't see much, but it does evoke a lot of emotion, especially through the score. This is a great use of John Williams' music. I was reminded of the bit of score, and I I I heard a rumor. It's not actually Williams' score mm -hmm. from the um the first full Force Awakens trailer. There, the first time we mm -hmm. see Ray, it begins with that like really quick, um, bing note, yeah. and you see her. And then this, it's a, another really quick note that hits you, but it's much more ominous. Oh yeah. And so that you know, I hate I hate to use the phrase that George Lucas used, but it rhymes. You know, <laughs> it, it it sort of. I, that's one of the aspects of Star Wars that I really enjoy, and I know maybe he didn't pull it off as well. In the prequel trilogies, but I, it's, it's something that I think they're bringing back with this trilogy. And I know everyone kind of harps on about the idea that The Force Awakens is a remake of A New Hope. But when you think about Phantom Menace and A New Hope and The Force Awakens together, they do rhyme. Yeah. Kind of. Absolutely. Um, this is going back to the trailer. This all that entire section is coming up to like half of the trailer, um, framed by this voiceover by Luke, where he says, "Breathe, just breathe." 
he tells Ray, I'm assuming, to reach out. And I think he asked her, what does she see? Yeah, he asked, what do you see? And she says... The light, the, the light. dark, mm-hmm. and I think everything in between, or the middle, something, something like to that. that. Yeah. Um, and the the phrase, the light, is showing... It's a, a shot from the back of Leia, framed by a star map, on what I'm assuming is the new Resistance base. Yes, I would presume that as well. Which looks to be a starship, which is very Empire Strikes Back to me, because, you know, Empire Strikes Back takes most of the film on the Millennium Falcon. Right. For the Han and Leia story. And to go from, you know, the car is kind of almost their their Yavin and The Force Awakens to go to a it almost looks like home one, which is the right. the ship from Return of the Jedi. Um is very very interesting. Then we get a, a shot that really interests me of I'm it looks like Kylo Ren's shattered helmet. You know, everybody is saying that, and I thought that when I first saw it too, but it's such a, it's so deconstructed mm-hmm. that it's hard to tell what it really is. It is really hard to tell, but there, there, are, there are parts of it, it's very interesting, and I wonder if it's, it's probably intentional. I do believe this is Kylo Ren's shattered helmet, but it's shattered in a way that evokes Darth Vader's helmet. Yes. Which is... That's the level that we're dealing with here, where they, they know that we're saying here deconstructing this frame by frame, and they're just kind of throwing in these little digs of like, you have no idea the context of this, and it's going to drive you mad for close to a year. And then we get to the part that I'm most interested in, which is a book. Yes. And Star Wars. This... This blows my mind, and it feels like the culmination of everything that the story group has been doing since Disney took over, pretty much, which is this idea of the balance. The The balance of the Force is something that was talked a lot about in the prequel trilogy, but it was talked a lot about by the Jedi, right? who I think coloured the interpretation of the Force. You know, to them, balance to the Force means destroying the Sith. Right. But if you destroy all the darkness and leave only light, that's not balance. Well, that that's what I've always said, which was that when they said that um, that Anakin would bring balance to the Force, I think what it did was it it put a real equal playing field on the Sith and the Jedi. Mm-hmm. He did bring balance to the Force, just not the way the Jedi wanted him to. It, yeah, because... What he basically does is he destroys the Jedi Order and then destroys the Sith by killing the Emperor and himself and then return to Jedi. Mm-hmm. He does, in fact, you know, bring balance to the Force by basically giving it, like you said, a level playing field, a clean slate for Luke to kind of um, chart the new way that the the force is used in the galaxy. And my interpretation of these is two quick shots. It's one of um, what looks like a bookshelf um, framed by a tree almost. I, I could it's not tell what that was the first time I saw it. 
yeah, it's it's very surprising because it's a very organic set. It's you know trees and books and stone, which is very almost very un Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and then you know we get the torn pages of book with the Jedi Order symbol. Um, and I believe this is okay. This is the most spitballing I've ever done, but through Rebels and through you know stuff like Shattered Empire and through the the various novels that we've seen, especially um the Aftermath trilogy, the story group is really focused on what does balance mean for the Force. And we've seen them, even in Rogue One, they brought up the, the wills. Right. The the Temple of the Wills. And I think the uh, the novelization of The Force Awakens by Alan Dean Foster, the preface, is an entry from the Journal of the, of the Wills. And they keep coming back to this idea that, you know, the, the Jedi aren't the be-all, end-all. Even the, the conflict between the Jedi and the Sith isn't the be-all and end-all of what the Force is. Um, we saw that in Clone Wars with the Night Sisters. We see it in Rebels with the Bendu. There's there's this whole spectrum of what the Force can be outside of the Jedi. I mean, even I Leia is Leia is like walk the walking embodiment of that. Mm -hmm. Leia yeah. is Force sensitive, and uh, you know, I don't I don't think that term is still in vogue. Is it? Is that still being used? Yes, I I I believe so. Okay, I wasn't sure, um, but you know, she. She's able to use the force slightly. We see in different times, at least the sort of the 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 cognitive abilities, you know, of the force. Yeah. And but she has no Jedi training, and no. so to say that she is wasted because she isn't a Jedi is an incredibly limited understanding of the force. Mm -hmm. I think. And I feel like something that I I really respected them doing in the Force Awakens because in the old EU, um. I, I've talked about this, uh, I think, in the last uh, Force Ghost episode. Um, the the main trio of Hanlock and Leia had to remain centralized in order for them to keep selling books, basically. Right. They, the, 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 the New Jedi Order stuff and the stuff that came afterwards, they had to keep saying, like, these are stories about the, the characters you know and love from the movies just after Return of the Jedi, where now we can get stories that take place after Return of the Jedi that decentralize the trio because... You know, Han and Leia go off to be parents, and Leia remains as part of the new Republic Senate, and Luke goes off to do whatever. I still don't know what he goes off to do. <laughs> um, and you get these other players that come in, and I, I really respect the the choice of and the aftermath trilogy, and especially in Bloodlines, to show that Leia goes back to doing what she does best, which is being a politician. You know, that's what she was raised to do by Bale. She wouldn't... I feel like it makes more sense for her to go back to that than to just abandon her upbringing for a man she never knew. Right. Who just happens to be her biological parent, but also tortured her. Like, <laughs> yep. for real tortured her in the Death Star. And Bloodlines is about that kind of dichotomy and choosing is in the title choosing your bloodline um but i feel like what we're seeing with this book and the trailer is and it goes into luke's kind of larger i guess mentality that we see which is that 
something has happened to Luke. And I, I guess it might have been the seduction of Ben and the destruction of his new Jedi Order to say that maybe the Jedi aren't right for the galaxy. Right? The, right. That he went through all of that to to become a Jedi, um, listened to Ben, listened to Yoda, redeemed his own father, watched him die right in front of him, said, I am a Jedi like my father before me, and has maybe come to the realization that maybe the Jedi weren't that great, which is something that the prequels kind of explore. I don't know how well they do it, but this idea that, you know, the, the heroes you idolize as a kid maybe weren't as great in practice as you idolize them as. Right. It's interesting. And... I, I wonder how much of that exploration in the prequels was accidental. Because I don't think in uh, Phantom Menace, Lucas knew he was writing all the Jedis as dicks. <laughs> yeah, it's... I Yeah, that that's that's a good point. Um, I feel like it became more textual during the the clone wars series right um because you have this entire series where you're getting to know the clones as people but also you're seeing the jedi use them as cannon fodder <laughs> right and that weird dichotomy where it's like hey maybe the jedi are massive dick bags <laughs> during this entire thing because when you spend the whole time thinking that you're better than everyone else because of your religious ideology, you kind of come off looking like the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, that's rarely a good look. Um, so I think what we're seeing is, because it's, it's a strange trailer and that it ends with Luke saying, it's time for the Jedi to end. But we're also seeing him, what we're assuming, actively training Rey. And there's these two halves that kind of maybe don't add up. And I believe we're going to see Ray kind of have to convince Luke to train her maybe to create something new, something different than the Jedi. It's... Yeah. Is there any... Let, let's finish talking about the trailer before, because yeah. that's where all of my thoughts about the trailer really lie. Okay. Um... Um, like, from there, it's a bunch of quick shots. We get... So we don't actually get much of an idea of the story of what's happening with the Resistance outside of kind of Ray's story with Luke. We get a shot of a new planet called Crate, which is this uh, old deserted mining world, which is very mineral rich. We see what look like kind of speeders or pod racers racing towards what I think are Imperial walkers. There's some kind of... Sh shadows in the background of the frame that look kind of like 8080s um we get a shot of finn in some kind of medical capsule i guess we don't get a lot of finn in this trailer that i'm kind of um i, I don't want to say disappointed but i hope we get to see more of him in the future there's a couple of shots of poe his x-wing gets blown up shot of the millennium falcon one shot of Kylo Ren, where he looks incredibly menacing, <laughs> which was a very, very interesting shot. There is you kind of start to see the uh, the scar that Ray gave him on Starkiller Base, which looks a hell of a lot like Anakin's scar from Revenge of the Sith. I saw you tweeted that. 
<laughs> that's interesting. We also get something that that fascinates me, which is a shot of a cloaked figure next to very clearly R two D two watching a burning building, which going off of the the force vision that Ray has looks to be a flashback to the destruction of Luke's Jedi Order. That's that's kind of all I can interpret that as. I agree completely. And I don't think Star Wars has ever done a flashback, has it? Uh, no. That was actually one of the things that made uh, Rogue One special was the idea that um, that, that opening scene was basically kind of a flashback, kind of a prologue chapter. Right, right. That was one of the things that they, they talked about in the making of Rogue One was that they've never really, like, Lucas's stories are very linear in the telling, even though the larger construction of the saga isn't linear. You know, everything is just one long story beat until the end. They haven't really gone backwards and forwards to show backstory unless it's doing an entire trilogy of flashbacks. <laughs> right. But it'll be interesting to see how that actually factors into this the film. I mean, I guess the there could be a very simple explanation here, which is that Ray has another force vision. That's true. Um which um okay, we'll get to that in a second. Let's finish off the trailer. Um, there's a shot of Phasma cloaked by flames. I believe we're going to get to see um, this linked to the shot of Poe's X-Wing blowing up. I think leads me to think that um, the First Order attack the Resistance's like, starship base, essentially. Because um, it looks like the same hangar. It looks like the, the reverse shot of the same explosion. That's... Th kind of all I can get from that. There's some space battles, which is going to be really cool because that's the one thing that I think The Force Awakens kind of missed out on was a big space battle. Agreed. So we get that, and then that final shot of Luke framed almost entirely in shadow against the cave opening, saying the Jedi, the, it's time for the Jedi to end, and the big title in red... The Last Jedi, and me crying on the floor after watching it. <laughs> that was a hell of a trailer. It's two minutes and one second. So about 30 seconds longer than The Force Awakens one. But I feel like it says a lot more than that one ever did. Well, it, it, in, in part, it kind of, it has the ability to because we have context for this film. Mm -hmm. We don't have supreme context we don't know exactly what's going to happen but we we know where it picks up we know what came before it you know you have to realize mm -hmm. that chronologically before the force awakens it had been 30 years plus yeah. since we had seen anything so you know it makes sense that this will be a little bit more developed than that but all right so here's here's where i'm seeing all of this right and yeah, i can't wait for this the, the, this is this is by far not a uh not an original thought, okay? But I think that this that this movie is going to mirror Empire Strikes Back, not in the way that everybody thinks will by being the darkest piece of the tri of the trilogy, mm -hmm. but this is going to be Ray on Atu is Luke on Tatooine. Not Tatooine, I'm sorry, and Dagobah. 
Yeah. And everything about the movie is going to kind of parallel that. So that first mm-hmm. shot we see of Ray, that's after she chops off Vader's helmet and sees her face in there. Yeah. Like that is going to to me I was taking that scene as she was coming out of the, of a vision like that. A vision that could include the uh the destruction of the Jedi Temple. You know, that that yeah. could that could all be part of that. Because there is if you freeze frame that, it does look like there is a cave behind her. Right. And I'm because th- this is something I've wondered is is Acto or Acto a force sensitive planet in the same way that Dagobah is? Right. Cause that's why the cave exists, basically. It's a vergence in the force. Right. That brings to life the visions for whoever goes into it. Like that's why Yoda says, um, I think Luke has him like what's in there? And Yoda says, only what you take with you. Right. It manifests your baggage almost through the force. Yeah. So that's interesting. here's my big theory, though. Okay. One of my favorite scenes in all of the all of Star Wars is on Dagobah when Yoda gets frustrated with Luke, and you hear Obi Wan's voice pop up. Mm-hmm. This is where we're gonna hear a Force ghost for the first time in the new trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be Luke when Luke says the time for the Jedi is over and walks out. Right there. We're gonna we're gonna hear a force ghost speak to him. Interesting. Because think about it, doesn't that entranceway kind of resemble the entrance into Yoda's house? Ah, uh, let me look at this again. <laughs> is is this gonna be our Superboy Prime moment? It might be our Superboy Prime moment. We'll see. Um, it does. Um. And here's the thing. You mentioned before, this is a very natural-looking world, and that's unusual mm-hmm. for Star Wars, except for Dagobah. Except for Dagobah. You're, you're on, well, except for, like, all of the planets, but... Um, <laughs> but, like, but, but in terms of, but all yeah. the planets are set up... You, we are never in nature in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You're always in man-created areas in these planets, mm-hmm. except for Dagobah. Dagobah is is very much as it. I mean, you know, obviously Yoda makes a little home for himself, but you know. Mm-hmm. But so I I just I just see that scene being played out of of him saying it's time for the Jedi to end, and then he's gonna have a conversation with somebody. I don't know who that somebody is. I guess what would make sense to be Obi Wan, right? I think it would make sense to be Obi Wan, but there's also Yoda, or there's his father. There's also Anakin. Yeah. There's also the fact that at Celebration, Hayden Christensen was there. Yes. And he was there pretty much for like five minutes during the 40th anniversary panel because that uh, turned out to be like George Lucas, this is your life. Right. <laughs> um, But Hayden Christensen has apparently repaired his relationship with Lucasfilm after being slated for like 10 years, even though... I maintain he did a good job in Revenge of the Sith. He did as much with the material as anybody could have done. I I was I go back and I'm still impressed with what he did in Revenge of the Sith. That was a good performance, I believe. Um we could see Anakin's Force Ghost. Cuz it was something that they were I think tossing about with Force Awakens. As it showed up in some of the concept art was the idea of, like, this is before they even knew kind of what the film was going to be. Right. 
about, but there was the idea of an Anakin Force Ghost, where you know he's he you see the Force Ghost and like all the Force Ghosts are basically just they filmed Alec Guinness on set and put a blue sheen on him. Right. But this was the idea of like more of a more of an actual apparition where he's phasing in between looking like Anakin and looking like Vader. Oh, that's kind interesting. Of, even though he's uh even though he was redeemed is the word I'm looking for. Like the the burden of what he did as Vader is still kind of like on his soul, I guess, even in the afterlife. Interesting. Um it's not something that ever kind of came about in the movie, obviously, but it's it's, it's certainly interesting. Yeah. As a is a recycle concept. Yeah. So I basically see now. Look, I I do think that this is going to involve Luke building something new. Mm-hmm. But I think that when he says it's time for the Jedi to end, I don't think he's talking about building something new at that point. No. I think he's talking about ending something. And then yeah. I think that Ray and maybe it's just Ray, but I I, I could see Ray and a Force ghost helping him to understand. The need to build something new, because mm-hmm. that that was something that um I think Daisy Ridley mentioned during the panel, which was her relationship with Luke is more like kind of like what I was talking about how Luke is maybe disillusioned with the Jedi because of you know he idolized them because of what Obi Wan said and because of what Yoda taught him, and then you know finding out the reality of what the Jedi means maybe disillusioned him to his Id- idolization of it. Ray meeting Luke for the first time is apparently going to like kind of mirror something like that, where you know, and Force Awakens she thinks he's a myth, right? You know, he's he's the rebellion war hero. He's he's the Jedi of that time. He's the only one that ever kind of like uh, survived past the Empire, as far as we know. Um. And then meeting him, he's, you know, he's a hermit. He he wants the Jedi to end. And I believe that there is going to be a part of this movie that has to be Rey, like, convincing him to train her. Or at least convincing him to, to come back in some way. That's an interesting question. Do you think we're ever going to see him leave? his his hermitage or is or is that his Dagobah and he's gonna die there? Oh, don't make me think about Luke Skywalker's death. Um <laughs> I don't know. And it's one of those <laughs> questions that I will never know until we get more of a context of what the story is outside of that planet. Um because I don't think like obviously Ray is not going to be on that planet for the entire movie. Uh, I don't know about that. Really? Because, I mean, even Luke left Dagobah to go fight Vader. See, here's here's why I think... Are you thinking that maybe Kylo Ren comes too? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's what I think. Now, uh, a very good friend of mine texted me right after he saw Rogue One and said, So Vader's castle... Is that going to be the climactic scene for episode eight? Sorry, the climactic setting for episode eight or episode nine? 
And I was like, it has oh. to be episode nine. I was like, it has to be episode nine, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that it only makes sense for that to be Ray and Kylo Ren. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if Luke makes it to episode nine. See, that's interesting. And, like, part of me agrees with you because narratively it would make sense. But also, you know, is is Lucasfilm the kind of place right now where they're comfortable with each movie being the death of one of the original trio? Because that was a big moment for Force Awakens was to say, you know, Han Solo is dead. D-E-E dead. He is gone. His body has been incinerated by the creation of a new star. You know, to to then say, you know, episode eight is the death of Luke Skywalker. And we know now, sadly, that Carrie Fisher won't be in the last, uh, whatever episode nine is. You know, they're, they're not doing any kind of CGI trickery to bring her back for that. And see, they're... that's why I think that Luke will definitely die now. Really? See, I had thought always that that this trilogy was going to be the kiss-off of the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. It was going to give each of the original three, you know, core characters their own film to shine, and then Mm -hmm. it was going to say goodbye to them. And after I saw The Force Awakens, like, well, that is, that's Han's goodbye, right? That he has the most screen time by, by a country mile, you know? And I always thought that it would be um, Luke in the second one and Leia in the third one. So maybe that changes a little bit now. Maybe Luke sticks around to nine because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if you just thought, okay, they're just doing, you know, Harrison Ford wanted to die in Empire Strikes Back. So they're just yeah. they're, they're just taking care of that favor for him now. I think with him dying and Carrie Fisher dying, Mm-hmm. I just think it makes more sense. Even if they had more planned for those characters, I don't know if they just keep one character around. That's fair. Um, yeah, I can see that. Especially because I feel like um, not that long ago, Kathleen Kennedy said that um, the the way they're addressing the saga trilogies is that once kind of episode nine comes out, they're not going to immediately start talking about episode 10. Right. They're going to leave it for a while because they view it as the, each trilogy is generational. You know, like when you view kind of the three trilogies that we have is, you know, the the older generation at the time, the current generation and now the new generation. Um. So whatever happens past episode nine will be kind of up in the air for a while, I guess. Um, yeah, that's kind of a bummer to think about. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but no, we'll see. It, like, it, but, it you know, makes sense. It, it makes sense, but I also think that you're at a place now where there's going to be so much, like, to me, we're not going to see the amazing Star Wars media, multimedia stuff that takes place after Return of the Jedi until after episode nine. Mm-hmm. We just we know that, right? Like yeah. you're making a book or two, that sort of thing. But we're not gonna get a lot. To me, after episode nine, then you can really, because def- if that's if seven, eight, and nine are the definitive ends 
of those three main characters, then we know the definite beginnings and the definite mm -hmm. ends, and then we can have fun filling in the middle parts. Yeah. Do you think that's why they're doing the Han Solo movie now? Yes. Because that's he's the only character that doesn't have an established origin story before A New Hope. Yeah. That, and, that makes sense. And I also think that if we were all paying attention, we would have realized that, huh, they're doing a Han Solo movie. That means he's going to die in episode seven. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always kind of, I, I feel like I had that inkling even going into it. Yeah. Um, just because, like, like that's kind of what it felt like was the bands getting back together for one last hurrah to leave off into the new generation and if you look at phantom menace and a new hope the mentor character dies right right qui-gon jinn bites it obi-wan bites it han solo plays that obi-wan role and the force awakens it it rhymes. Yeah, and that's actually my one of my favorite bits of The Force Awakens that I never anticipated. I mm. never thought that Han would be the mentor character. Oh yeah. I like that was what broke me the first time I saw the the full trailer they did where they it's have true. Han's line. All it's of it. It's true, all of it. To go from like uh what is it called? He calls it like mumbo jumbo. Mumbo jumbo mumbo jumbo, yeah. And and you hope to it's true all of it that was where i lost it with the force awakens marketing and that was when i was like this is they they nailed it yeah they got it right um yeah uh we have talked 45 minutes for a two minute trailer so let's maybe try and cover what else we want to talk about yeah all right so i, I want to ask you a question alice okay so one you know when The Force Awakens was coming out, there was like six or seven characters that were given sort of the spotlight moments in the film. In the mm -hmm. trailers, rather. In the trailers. Yeah. You, you got, you know, the, obviously the big three of Poe, Finn, and Rey. You got mm -hmm. Kylo Ren. You got BB-8. Yep. And you got Captain Phasma. Mm-hmm. And Captain Phasma is on the screen very little in the movie. In the beginning yep. of the movie, she's incredibly menacing and yeah. then she sort of <laughs> she sort of gets she a fucking disappears and then she's for like an hour and a half and then she shows up and gets hoodwinked pretty easily yeah uh a lot of people were saying that they felt that she was going to be like shunned by the uh by the first order and was going to join the resistance which i thought was a very silly idea oh um, well, yeah i didn't I didn't hear that one. Oh yeah, there there was there was a there was a whole like very vocal thing that was like it makes total sense because she would never be allowed back there, but we know the character's gonna continue and so why mm -hmm. don't you know, whatever. I don't first of all, the fact that she survives means that the first order is fine with her. Because they would have yeah. left her there if, if she wasn't yeah. gonna come with them. But do you think that the Captain Phasma comic that we heard was announced, the Captain Phasma novel that was announced, do you think all of that is Lucasfilm trying to course correct for sort of fucking up her character. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Um, I remember there was a major thing after the Force Awakens where they talked about how there wasn't as much Ray merchandise as consumers wanted. 
Um, it was kind of the same as with Marvel and Black Widow. Right. And it was this thing where it's like, why, why are like Ray is the main character, and why aren't you capitalizing on this? And I think maybe it was Kathleen Kennedy. They kind of shrugged the shoulders and like, we didn't really expect her to have the same kind of boom that she did, um, which is completely daft to me. I think they 100% did, but were waiting until the film came out so they could then start putting out Ray with lightsaber figures. That's actually a um, very good point, yeah. But with Phasma, I genuinely think they were like, we did not expect people to latch onto this character because originally Phasma was going to be a dude, right? Mm -hmm. Phasma was just a kind of almost like a placeholder character who was going to be the big stormtrooper head, right? Was just there to be the captain that ordered Finn about in the first act and then kind of gets come up in the late act. And I think J.J. Abrams was just like, this is a kind of dude-heavy movie. Let's change up one of the characters. Phasma has no kind of... Like, there's nothing about Phasma that says that they needed to be a dude in the script. So let's change that up, get Gwendolyn Christie in. And that, combined with cool armor, just kind of made this icon of People the love film. cool armor. Honestly. Because <laughs> that was one of the things, like... I get, I was somewhat disappointed by her inclusion in the movie, or lack thereof, I guess. And I saw people kind of levy that she's the Boba Fett of the movie towards her, which makes sense. Even just from the idea of, like, the visually arresting character that ultimately doesn't do that much. Yeah. Um... I think, yeah, I think what we're seeing is Lucasfilm going, oh, people liked her. Oh, we didn't we didn't do enough with her. Let's not only bring her back in The Last Jedi, and hopefully she gets a bigger role, um, but give her a novel that explains her origin story, give her a comic that explains how she got out of Starkiller Base. Let's try and push her more in a way that hopefully people will be happy with. Do you um, think that there's enough meat on those bones i i think it would depend on what the the novel is like because the the comic i sure you know is four issues it's um kelly thompson and marco Cicero. i think that's going to be cool and i think it's going to be interesting in a way that it's going to be your first kind of glimpse at what happens after the force awakens pretty much in any way that's true um, cause it's four issues and it can't all be four issues of her climbing out of a trash compactor. You've read some of those Marvel comics. It could be four issues of her climbing out of a trash compactor. It could be, but Charles Soule isn't writing this. So I have, Oh snap. Um, I actually really like Charles Soule. That was there for Matt. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think we're going to get a glimpse of like what happens after the, the force awakens, at least on the first order side and the kind of reaction to that. Um, kind of losing Starkiller base. Um, I think the the question comes from how interesting is her backstory? Because that was kind of what Boba Fett lived and died on. Was the EU introducing the Mandoa stuff and introducing the Mandalorian culture that was why people latched onto that character beyond the films. Um, so it's interesting. It's funny how far a Star Wars character can go based on cool armor it is and i think you know like she deserves to have a cool presence 
because I feel like she was underutilized in The Force Awakens. And I've heard people talk about how... So there's the bit on Takodana, kind of towards the end of the second act of the film, where, you know, the First Order rise, blows up Mazzy's castle, and Kylo Ren and Rey have their fight in the forest, and Finn uses a stormtrooper on literally a random stormtrooper that just happens to recognize him. Um, and you kind of look at that and go, couldn't that have been Captain Phasma? Right. Where she actually, like, it, the whole scene makes sense where she shows up and she calls him a traitor because he betrayed her and, like, forgone her command and now she's pissed and she attacks him and then, you know, the rest of the movie plays out where, you know, he bests her, I guess, or, like, the, the conflict is interrupted by Tanjiri and then on Starkiller base is captured. But that, like, main, like, close to an hour chunk of the movie where she's not in it was... It kind of sucked for her not to be in it, but I hope she's... I hope they do make up for it, at least in The Last Jedi. I, I guess my question is... Like, did you read the, um... Before the Awakening novel? Yes. I... <laughs> You can just stop it. Did you read? Because yes. Okay, fair. Uh, I felt like what that novel suffered from was trying to make, specifically in the Finn section, trying to make Finn's backstory more than like the two sentences it got in the film, which mm -hmm. was even said in the in the first full trailer. He says like, you know, my whole life I've been trained for something, and then I don't want to do it anymore, or whatever he says. Yeah. You know, like. And, I, and now I, he doesn't know what he's fighting for. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And my my concern with Phasma's backstory is if she's just a part of the First Order the way that Finn was just a part of the First Order and then she, you know, ascended to a higher rank, like, is that an interesting enough story? Um, It could be, and here's why. Um... So you haven't read the Aftermath novels, have you? No, I I actually just ordered them from Amazon, though, so... I'm not going to spoil it, but those deal with where the Empire goes after the Empire ends, as you can imagine from the title of the third one. <laughs> yes. And one of the things that interests me is... So in the backstory of The Force Awakens, when they were coming out with that, they explained that Phasma's armor, the, uh, the chrome effect, is actually salvaged from Emperor Palpatine's chromium uh, yacht from when he was a senator. It's oh, the okay. same kind of Naboo ships that Padme had. And that the First Order had at least one of those ships that it coveted because it was part of the Emperor's like collection. Like, they're fanatics over the Emperor and his kind of legacy. And to wear the armor that's salvaged from the Emperor's private collection of yachts is this, like, huge fanatical um, honour to bestow on someone. And I feel like that's kind of the line that hopefully it will kind of take, is that, you know, not to put too fine a touch on it, the First Order are neo-Nazis, right? right? They're they're taking this wholly despicable, despicable ideology and trying to recreate it generations later. And like trying to to honor these these monsters of the past, and I feel like that's 
what's interesting to me about where the Phasma novel can go is this idea of getting a first-hand glimpse into the kind of the indoctrination process of the First Order, of how they they take the the horrific actions of the Empire in the past and and idealize them and try and convince because we know that the stormtroopers are indoctrinated as childrens right as childrens as kids <laughs> um and this this concept of like how how someone can become so fanatically part of the first order to get that honor cuz you know the the interesting thing about the force awakens is you've got the main three in Poe Finn and Rey but you've also got the villainous three in Kylo Ren, Phasma, and Hux. Right. And they all kind of represent the different facets of the First Order. And so that's what I want to see. And it's something that I've kind of wanted to see basically since the First Order was announced as being part of uh, The Force Awakens is what's their backstory? How did they come about? Where What were they doing all this time? And we're getting that kind of drip fed. And I feel like this could be that kind of first-hand account of just how messed up this organization is. You've sold me on the idea. I don't know if it's going to be that good, but I hope so. <laughs> but at least there's... I have a little more context for it now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of one of my fears with the... Um, with the proposition of making endless Star Wars movies is the idea that the novels and comics are going to be made less and less consequential because anything truly consequential consequential they're going to want to save for a television show or movie or movie and that has been you know i i have i am so far behind on reading mm-hmm. the novels blame my kids i guess um, oh, yeah. but you know, like i i just i am not i am not caught up at all with the novels but if mm-hmm. if you if you're just looking at the descriptions of the novels to me did you watch lost yeah to me a lot of them on the surface sound like finding out why jack got his tattoos like these little bits of storytelling mm-hmm. that ultimately don't matter the but but because they they know people like me and you are going to buy them these books come out now i know they've been doing a better job than that mm-hmm. but do you do, do, do you get what I'm saying? How there's just this sort of this sort of uh, natural arc towards doing less consequential stories in the novels and and comics. I do, but I also somewhat disagree. Good, because I feel like okay. So I've read all of the novels at this point, apart from Thrawn, which just came out and I haven't got around to buying yet. But all of the novels that I've read. Apart from, I think, one, have had a reason to be told. Um, You know, so just looking at the list here, like Catalyst, the Rogue One prequel, dives back and gives more context into Galen Erso's relationship with the the Republic and the Emperor and uh, Krennic and how, and it deepens the the political conspiratorial side of the creation of the Death Star and I think deepens the story of Rogue One a lot. You know, it's something that's not I think the 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 thing that happens is that it's not 
a necessary story to read in order to understand what's happening in the movies, but it deepens the kind of emotional context that we see, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, same with something like Tarkin. You know, Tarkin is a novel where not a whole lot happens on this grand scale because I think that's what we're kind of used to with Star Wars. But it's a very personal look into the backstory of a character that was basically kind of a one-dimensional cardboard villain in A New Hope. You know, uh, Peter... Cushing. Cushing. I went to say Cullen and I was like, that's not right. Um, <laughs> he, he showed up and he was British and evil and that was kind of all we got of him in the movie. But Tarkin goes back and kind of shows how he grew up and the environment which this character has created and why he's such a fanatical part of the uh, the Empire and bridges the gap between the Tarkin that we see in A New Hope and in Rogue One and in Rebels and somewhat, spoiler alert, in Clone Wars <laughs> that kind of ties this character around and shows this almost like almost like a biography of a character that was had a couple scenes where he was mustache twirling the evil in A New Hope. And that's what interests me about the novels is that it gives the it gives Lucasfilm a place to expand on the emotional side of Star Wars. Because the films, you know, you get all the big events and you get all the big explosions and battles, but the kind of the the introspective core of the stories kind of gets lost in movies because it's such a short form right. um, format. But something like, you know, Aftermath, those that trilogy of novels. I don't think would work as movies, you know, because it's such a, it focuses more on the political upheaval than anything else. It's not this huge, you know, other than the Battle of Jakku, there's no huge war going on anymore. It's about, you know, transference of power and how a new government is set up in the place of an old government and the challenges of, you know, making that government respectable and why like why should the citizens of the galaxy care more about the new republic than the empire what's different about them you know you can say that oh we're better we're not the empire but you have to prove that and that's you can't do that in a movie yeah so like yeah i feel like all right so let's you know i might be setting up a challenge for myself here okay how many novels are in canon that have been released so far approximately um, so, about 13. Okay. All right. Since give or take a couple of younger, young adult novels. Okay. All right. Let's do this. Uh, since Disney has pulled rebels and clone wars from Netflix, which is going to be my summer star Wars binge. I'm just gonna read all the all the new kind of novels. Interesting. Bef- before before uh, the last, the last Jedi. Jedi. Yeah. Interesting. So what I'll do I'm, is I will I'm pop in this. on the podcast now and then, and give my uh, my progress report. I will give you two caveats to that. Okay. Dark Disciple uh-huh. and Ahsoka uh-huh. are novels that you cannot read until you finish the Clone Wars. Okay. Because one, like they both kind of spoil aspects of 
the Clone Wars, but one, like the Ahsoka novel kind of, I like, I want you to experience the, the end of Ahsoka's storyline in the Clone Wars as is. Okay, so now, this is an important question then. Can I just ignore those two novels for now? That's not going to yeah. impact anything else? Yeah, no. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're pretty much self-contained stories. Okay. Um, They're just like, they basically wrap up stuff that wasn't allowed that couldn't be in the show because it got cancelled early. Right. right. Okay. Um, so yeah, you can ignore those for now. The rest are pretty much fair game. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here's what you're gonna do then, Alice. <laughs> you're gonna oh. give me a reading order. Oh yes. Okay. I, I don't need it today, um, but in the next couple of days, give me a reading order, and I'll start seeing what my library has and start ordering some books and uh. And, yeah, you know, I'm excited for this. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll check in periodically on the podcast. Awesome. We have our first recurring segment. <laughs> yeah, so there we go. That's uh, that's my challenge. Okay, and I think that kind of wraps up what we were going to talk about. We talked a lot about a two-minute teaser. We did. But we're excited for this movie. This looks like a good-ass movie. There are so many reasons I don't want the world to end in nuclear war. But, like, in the top five is I want to see The Last Jedi. Oh, my God. I just need to make it to December. Yeah. I feel you. So, yeah, I think that will wrap us up. I will, I think, the next kind of full episode we'll do. Because this is this was supposed to be a mini episode. And then we talk <laughs> for an hour. For an hour. <laughs> um, I think the next full episode we're going to do, I would like to dive more into the rest of Celebration that we saw because we barely we barely scratched the surface of what was announced there um and hopefully i and someone else will have read thrawn by that point and we can talk about that because that's that seems like an interesting novel did, just before we go off on a huge tangent here did you read the original thrawn novels nope ah and see that is like that is the rosetta stone for me into yeah into my star wars obsessions that might be my summer reading challenge Ooh, that's fun if i can get my hands on them which i think they will because i think they've been uh reprinting them yes as, they like, have. legends versions yes so... and uh, i believe the the ebooks are quite cheap too if, oh, if, yeah. if you don't mind checking out an ebook yeah i've got i've got kindle so i'll i'll load it up in there yeah all right that that is a conversation we should have at some point after you read those novels Yes. Because I read them as a, like, 12-year-old, 12, 13, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned this to Ken when we were talking about Aftermath. I wasn't born when the first Heir to the Jedi novel came out. I feel old. My back hurts I knew, today, I knew that, My I knew back that hurts, that okay? That. I'm an old man with two kids and a bad back. And uh, it's not fair that you keep doing this to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks for joining us on this wild tangent of a minute. So, uh, Brian, where can the people find you? Always at multiversitycomics.com and on Twitter at Brian Needs an App. And I am also at multiversitycomics.com and at Alice W. Castle on Twitter. And uh, I don't think I have anything Star Wars coming up because Rebels is finished. Um, so yeah, we'll catch back next month and may the force be with you.